I'm Leanne Spencer, founder of Body Shop Performance Limited, best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and your host. This is the Remove the Guesswork podcast, the show where I interview influential people in the health, fitness, and well-being space to bring you the latest ideas on how to optimize your mind, body, and well-being. The show is brought to you by my company, Body Shop Performance. We create total solutions to optimize your health by focusing on sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, and fitness. We work with busy professionals on a one-to-one basis for six or 12 months using the latest science and technology. And Body Shop also work with businesses who want to create a culture of energy, vitality and performance and position well-being as a competitive advantage. Find out more at bodyshopperformance.com and enjoy the show. Hello, welcome back to the Remove the Guesswork podcast. I'm your host, Leanne Spencer. And today I want to talk to you about my favorite bit of wearable tech. It's called the Aura Ring, and many of you, if you've watched our videos, you'll have seen me wearing this ring on my right hand. It's kind of like a thick wedding band, I suppose, which I wear on the middle finger of my right hand, but you can wear it on any finger of either hand. And it's, I think, one of the most clever pieces of wearable tech out there at the moment. Now, there's a couple of things that I wear, and really the focus of this podcast is to talk to you a bit about wearable tech in general, but very specifically about the Oura Ring, the data that I get from this, and how I use it in conjunction with my Apple Watch. So I've got two bits of wearable tech that I'm wearing. So firstly, to the ring, what is it? Well, as the name suggests, it's a ring. As I said, you can wear it on either hand, on any finger. And this thing is certainly one of the most accurate sleep trackers on the market, but it does a lot more than that as well. So you wear it on the finger and because of that proximity to the skin and to the body and that tight proximity as well, it is very, very accurate, more accurate than a wrist-based device. It's pretty stylish to look at. You get them in rose gold and gold and silver, which is the color I wear. And it's very light. It's almost alarmingly light. In fact, you'd almost want it to be a little bit heavier to reflect the cost of this. It's not a low cost item. I'll say that now. You know, these things are about 320 euros, but it is an amazing bit of tech as I'll come to explain to you. So I've been wearing this thing for about three years and I, I came across Ura, which is a Finnish company, spelt O-U-R-A, when I was writing my second book, Remove the Guesswork. And I wanted to interview somebody who'd done something or a company that was doing something different in the wearable tech space. I didn't want to go to Fitbit or any of the well-established ones. And my research flagged up Ura. So I got in touch with them. I arranged to interview their CEO, a gentleman called Petri Laterra, and got on a call with him 10 minutes in, thought, this is an amazing bit of tech. We need to be wearing this. We need to bring this into our business, body shop performance, and have every single client wearing this ring because the data is just extraordinary. So that's how I came across them. And in that time, the ring has changed quite considerably in appearance. It used to be black or white, and it was much more like a signet ring, a really large signet ring. Now it's like a thick wedding band. So they've managed to compress an enormous amount of technology into a small space, really. It's an extraordinary product. Now, the reason I was so interested in this is it not only records your sleep to an extremely high level of accuracy, and it's just a little anecdote, Stanford Sleep Lab actually bought a couple of these rings when they launched on Kickstarter a few years ago. And then they quietly tested the rings against their own sleep lab data without letting anyone know. And then they published the results. So it's about 85% accurate to that Stanford Sleep Lab data itself, which is an extraordinary high level of accuracy. 
So it's tracking all your sleep data. It's also tracking all your activity and movement data, but not in a congratulations, you ran 5k in 23 minutes at this average pace per mile. But it's just looking at how much you move and how much you don't move, because it then cross correlates the sleep data with the activity data to provide you with the main headline, which is your recovery data. And that's why I love this, because it is absolutely perfect for hard charging executives, busy type A professionals who don't necessarily have an issue with moving. It's about putting the brakes on. It's about understanding when to slow down and stop. And that's what Aura helps with, which is why I think it's such an amazing bit of technology. So I'm going to come in to talk through all the data points that I pay close attention to in the app. But before that, I just want to explain how I use it in conjunction with the Apple Watch. So I'm wearing these two bits of technology. Why have I got two? What are they doing for me? Well, for me, the Aura Ring is about recovery. So the main things that I focus on with my ring is my readiness score. Every morning, it will publish a readiness score to the, the app. So this morning, it's 82%. Anything above 80%, I'm pretty happy with. But I look specifically then at some of the subsets of that overall score. So what has fed into that score of 82%? And it's primarily three things. Firstly, heart rate variability. Secondly, resting heart rate. And third, body temperature. But it's also looking at how much I've slept. In other words, what recovery, what have I been paying back into my health account? And it's looking at my activity data. In other words, what's been withdrawn from that recovery account, if you like, that health account. So... By looking at the two, you can say, well, you've had tons of sleep, but you haven't moved very much. That's not great for health. Or you've moved an extraordinary amount, but you've hardly had any sleep, deep restorative sleep. That's not a good thing either. So I predominantly use it for that. My Apple Watch, I wear because I'm a Vitality customer and they basically pay you to wear the Apple Watch because... If you score a certain amount of points per week, then Vitality pay for the watch. They also pay for a ton of other benefits, by the way. Vitality.co.uk is the health and life insurance provider that I use. And I would recommend having a look at them. We've no affiliation at all, but there's some, some great deals. And they basically, they give you a coffee a week through Starbucks. You get lots of discounts with various different stores. You get... Amazon Prime paid for you. You get the Apple Watch paid for you just by getting 40 points a week, which is not that difficult to do. It really wants you doing about 12,500 steps a day and that's it. You get eight points and, and you can get the 40 points a week. So I wear the watch predominantly because Apple pay me to, but I also use that as my workout tracker. So if I'm going to a spin class or I'm going down to the boxing gym or whatever I'm doing, if I'm doing a long country walk, I'll also use the watch to track that. And that does capture time, speed, distance traveled and all that sort of stuff. So I find that very helpful. But the majority of the reason why I wear that is because Vitality pay me to wear it. And ultimately, the more points I score, the lower my premiums become. So that's the distinction between the two. And that's all the wearable tech that I wear. Some of you might recall I was wearing a continual blood glucose monitor a while ago, but that was a 20-day experiment. I'm not wearing that anymore. So they're the two things. Both these bits of tech, by the way, can be put onto flight mode. So if you don't like the idea of wandering around with, with lots of Bluetooth and Wi-Fi enabled technology strapped to your body, you can put both of these things on flight mode. And then when you take them off flight mode, they'll update with the data. Not every time with Apple Watch, but... Certainly with the Oura Ring, you can put it on plane mode, airplane mode, and then when you come to synchronize it on the app, it will have stored about, I think, two weeks worth of data. So you can have it in airplane mode for most of the time. And then as soon as you take it off, it'll upload that data. So that's the distinction between the two things. It's incredibly 
accurate the ring, which is another reason why I prefer that to any other type of wearable technology. So let me talk specifically about some of the data points that it provides. There are tons of data points that come through, you know, for, let's look at sleep, for example. There is total sleep, which is the total amount of time that you've actually spent sleeping. You can look at total bedtime. So that's the total amount of time you actually spent in bed. I like to look at the composition of my sleep. So sleep is composed of deep sleep, REM sleep and light sleep. We cycle typically through 90 minute cycles, which follow that. In fact, it's light sleep dropping into deep sleep, into REM sleep, and then you come out of the cycle and go back into light sleep, deep sleep, REM sleep. Most of us, as you'll know from previous podcasts, need seven and a half hours of sleep a night. It does vary, but not wildly. Most of us need seven to eight and athletes or people who are under a lot of stress probably need seven to nine hours of sleep a night. I like to get seven and a half. Anything that starts with a seven is kind of the sweet spot for me. But in actual fact, sleep doesn't work in that. Having just said what a sleep cycle looks like, it actually doesn't work that way ordinarily. So you tend to find you get most of your deep sleep in the first part of your sleep. So the first half of the night and most of your REM sleep will happen in the second half. Not quite sure why that is, but that is typically how it works. And certainly when I look at my Aura scores, I can see that quite clearly. I can see that I'm getting my deep sleep in the first part of the night and my REM sleep in the second part of the night. So if we have a look at today's data, total sleep time, and I'm getting this from the app. There's an app that works with Android and with Apple that publishes all this data every single morning as soon as you synchronize the ring. So looking at this morning, total sleep time, seven hours and three minutes. So it's very low for me, but it does start with a seven. And that's my golden rule. Sleep has got to start with a seven. My time in bed was seven hours and 42 minutes. So there's been some wake ups and obviously sleep latency, which is how long it's taken me to get to sleep. And then I look at my sleep contributors. So it's looking at total sleep, the efficiency of my sleep. In other words, how quickly I got to sleep and stayed asleep. Restfulness, which it says is optimal. So I presume there is very little restfulness. Very odd. REM sleep for last night, none, apparently. Absolutely no REM sleep which is very odd. I can recall dreaming, but REM sleep is something that I struggle with. I rarely get more than about an hour of REM sleep a night, and that's on a good night, usually about 30 to 40 minutes. I'm not sure why this is. I have a theory that it could be a legacy of excessive alcohol consumption, but I haven't had any alcohol for well over seven years. So I'm not quite sure what that's about. My deep sleep, on the other hand, 43% of my sleep was deep. So three hours exactly I spent in deep sleep. And as I've just explained, all that deep sleep has happened in the first part of the night and then the light sleep in the second. So there is something slightly out with my sleep. I've been looking into this. I was recently confirmed as perimenopausal, which means approaching menopause. So you're starting to see some of the symptoms of that, which I am, mild headaches, irregular periods. What else? Sleep disturbances. I'm definitely seeing. What I've noticed is that I'm getting more deep sleep, but I'm waking up in the night for long periods and I'm waking up early in the morning. So I'm going to record an insights episode on what I've learned from that for anybody out there who is an interest in, in menopause and perimenopause or is approaching those stages or in those stages. But for now, I'll leave that. Suffice to say, my sleep is disturbed. And really, the way that sleep should be structured is it is roughly 25%. REM sleep, roughly 25% deep sleep, and then the remaining half is light sleep. Doesn't always work that way, 
But that is typically how sleep is composed. So obviously with 43% of deep sleep, that's quite skewed. It does mean that even after seven hours and no REM sleep, I'm feeling quite refreshed because I've had lots of deep restorative sleep, but that's not an ideal sleep structure. So that is something I'm looking into. Sleep latency was 13 minutes, took me 30 minutes to get to sleep basically, and the timing was optimal. And this means getting into bed in the right time points for my circadian rhythm. So what the app will also do is tell you what your ideal circadian rhythm is. So for me, it says your bedtime should be between 9.45 and 10.45 every night. And it'll set a little alarm for me if I want to trigger that to tell me to get into bed and get to sleep. So it's also published my sleep stages. So I've fallen asleep. I've been in deep sleep, a tiny bit of light sleep, deep sleep, tiny bit of light sleep and a quick wake up, which I don't remember at one o'clock, dropping back into deep sleep again. And then I'm cycling in and out of a short wake up and in and out of a small amount of deep sleep, but predominantly light sleep until morning. So I can see how those sleep stages are structured, which is quite interesting. It's then publishing my resting heart rate throughout the night as well. So when you're quite well recovered, your resting heart rate will settle early in the evening. If you're, you're not very well recovered and your nervous system's under strain or you've been overdoing it or overtraining, your resting heart rate will settle quite late into the night. Now, mine settled at about three in the morning. My lowest resting heart rate was about 40 beats per minute. So that's not too bad. The earlier it settles, the better, but that's not too bad. So that's the majority of the data that I look at for sleep. I look at total sleep, seven hours and three minutes. I then look at REM sleep, deep sleep, and I'll have a quick look at the sleep stages as well. So looking at that today, I'm going to be all right. I've had seven hours sleep. I've had three hours of deep sleep, but it's interesting that I haven't had any REM sleep and that could affect memory consolidation. It could have an impact on learning. My memory and my recall is pretty good, but that is something that I'm looking into. I want to see if I can improve my REM sleep scores. If I look at the cloud, the app in the cloud, which I can do from my laptop, I can actually see trends. In fact, you can do this as well from the app. If I go into trends on my app and I click on REM sleep, which I'm doing now, and I have a look at that weekly trend, I can see that for the last probably six weeks, it's been declining from its average of an hour and two minutes to nothing last night, 31 minutes last night, night before, sorry, 42 minutes before that, 24 before that, 28 before that, 34 before that. So I can see it's declining. So the other interesting thing is with this, that you can actually spot trends. You can think, well, it feels like I'm not sleeping as much at the moment, but is that actually true? So you go into total sleep under the trends section of the app, and you can see whether or not you have indeed been getting less sleep. So they're the data points I look at for sleep. The second part of this is activity. So I look at steps and I do this for clients as well as myself. This is data I look at. So I go into activity and I'll have a look at the steps, the total number of steps that I've taken. That is of interest. I also look at that on the Apple Watch because firstly, 12,500 points gets you to the eight points that you need to score per day. And 12,500 steps is a fairly, fairly active day, particularly if you spread that step count out throughout the day. In other words, you haven't done a big walk in the morning and then sat still all day because that's not what the body wants us to be doing. It's not what we're designed to be doing. But I keep an eye on step count. And I do this particularly with clients as well, because I want to see that you've been fairly active throughout the day, even if it's on a very, very low level basis. So I'll have a look at that. And I'm also going to have a look at low, medium and high intensity exercise. And what I want to be seeing is, as I've just explained, lots of low intensity exercise being taken throughout the day. I want to see across a week, 
three to five moderate intensity exercise sessions performed. And I want to see a couple normally high intensity workouts performed throughout the week. That is, is my opinion, a good foundation for solid fitness. So lots of constant daily life movement, three to five moderate intensity exercise sessions per week and a couple of high intensity sessions. That's good for your average person. If you can do more fantastic and on days when you're under recovered and, you know, your readiness data, which we'll come to on the app, isn't good. You may be doing less of the high intensity or even the moderate intensity, but more of the low level stuff. So I'm always looking at that and I use my Apple Watch as well to track the workouts I'm doing. You know, I, I know the workouts I'm doing anyway. I know pretty much how I'm feeling and, and how many sessions I've done. But when I'm looking at other people's data, that's the stuff I really look at. Keen to see what sort of activity and movement you've been doing throughout the day. In fact, that's one of the highlights for me, really, from the activity perspective. But there is a lot more you can look at for activity. You can pick up quite a bit more data. You can also look at activity burn, so all the calories that were burnt through physical activity, activity goal completion, activity score. So you'll get a score at the end of each day on just how active you've been. Inactive times, a really interesting one to have a look at as well. So any time that you've been sitting or standing or just being passive, that'll get recorded. What is interesting about this is it doesn't mark standing as being active because Aura believe, and I do agree with this, that the time that you're spending standing isn't much better than the time you're spending sitting. That is their belief. And I agree, you know, when I stand, I actually get low back pain, which I don't get in any other movement pattern. It's just when I'm standing still for anything longer than an hour. I find that quite uncomfortable. I either want to be moving, ideally, so locomoting, walking around, or sitting for very short periods, or standing for short periods, but not standing for prolonged periods. So it's interesting that the app, in fact, includes standing in the same way as it does sitting. But inactivity time is something you can measure. Steps I've talked about. Total burn is an interesting one. So that's all the calories that you've burned throughout the day, whether that's from your basal metabolic rate, in other words, the calories you need to keep yourself alive, or from calories that you've burnt through physical activity. So it tracks all of that. And then it also gives you a walking equivalency score. So it shows all your daily activity and the calories you've burnt doing that as a walking distance. So in other words, if you spend, let's say you do a house move. So you're just moving around your house, lifting boxes and carrying them through to a van, getting in that van, driving to the other end of the destination and unpacking those boxes. It will equate the activity session with a walk. So it'll say that was the equivalent of walking five miles, for example. So it can be quite interesting to see what the equivalence is of any particular movement pattern you've done on a walk, for instance. So that's the activity stuff. I am less interested in that than I am the sleep and the recovery. For me, that's interesting, but it's only interesting to put it in the context of, of sleep so I can get to the recovery score, which I'll now come to talk to you about now. This, I think, is the real highlight of the app and why it's so appropriate for the majority of people that, you know, for you listening, if you're a busy professional and you typically don't have a problem with, with doing, it's understanding, am I doing too much? It's trying to surface the signals that the body sends, which we've become very adept at ignoring. So for many of us, we don't listen to the signals the body's sending. We power on through, push on through, all this kind of language. And what the ring does is it helps to surface those signals and it presents them to you in the app every morning and it makes it hard to ignore. The three predominant things that I look at on this, which is most of what contributes to the readiness or the recovery score, 
is resting heart rate, heart rate variability, and body temperature. So for most of you, you'll know what they are, but very quickly and for clarity, heart rate variability or HRV is the interbeat interval. So a healthy heart does not have a regular interbeat interval. Ba-dum, 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 ba-dum. It has an irregular interbeat interval. Now it's not discernible if you were to listen to a heart, but technology can pick it up. And generally we want heart rate variability to be higher rather than lower. It's a very subjective number. So my partner, Antonia, wears the Aura Ring as well, has done for the same amount of time that I have. Her HRV is probably half what mine is, but that doesn't mean she's half as fit, half as recovered, half as healthy. It's just a very subjective number. I've got some fairly fit and active clients who've got very, very low HRV numbers, but relative to their own numbers, it's correct. So don't make any comparisons here, but mine is typically in the region of 120, 130. I have had some really high HRV readings recently, up to 150 and 180, which I think is an anomaly because, or it's a reflection of my nervous system, but not in a positive way because too high a heart rate variability is also an indicator that something's not right. So higher is generally better, but not always better. Today, my HRV is 133. So that does reflect how I'm feeling, which is pretty good. And that does also reflect the amount of deep restorative sleep I got last night. HRV is probably the best, in my opinion, indicator of nervous system recovery and overall health. So that's a number I pay a lot of attention to personally and a lot of attention to when I'm going through other people's data. Resting heart rate is the number of times your heart beats per minute when you're at rest. And this number should ideally be lower. The lower, the better. It can also get too low in the same way that HRV can get too high. So resting heart rate for me last night was 40 beats per minute. That is typically where it is. If I look at the last few days, it's been 39, 40, 36, 37, 39, 39, 37, 40. So it's always around there. So when you get used to the data, you start to be able to benchmark your own normal ranges as well. So they're pretty normal numbers, reflects how I'm feeling, reflects the fact that my nervous system is pretty well recovered. The other thing I will have a look at though is body temperature. Now, if I go back in the data here to February, in February, I got sick. I had a really bad cold and I couldn't actually see it coming with my body temperature. What happened is it was a slight increase in body temperature on Thursday, the 21st of February. And then on Friday, I had a fever. So my, my temperature increased by 4.8 degrees Fahrenheit. So I had a very, very high body temperature, very high fever in the night, really odd sleep. The following day, I had a drop in my core body temperature of minus six degrees Fahrenheit. And then it increased again for the next two days as I recovered from the cold. So looking at body temperature data, it can be used to predict menstrual cycles. That's one thing you'll see your body temperature creeping up as you approach your point of menstruation. But it also can be used to detect oncoming sickness. So I look at that for clients. And sometimes when I can see them in my own data as well, body temperature creeping up, it's a little signal to me that somebody is either getting sick or they're overdoing it, but something in the body isn't right. So you can use this to predict what might be going on for you as well as you know, for other reasons to try and predict or see off illness before it bites. And that's what a lot of people use this for. So when you put those three things together, they are the key contributors to your overall recovery score. But I look at all of those things individually as well, because I think it's interesting. I, I track my HRV over time. I'll track my resting heart rate and I'll have a look at body temperature. 
So they are the, the main data sets for the recovery score. Uh, it takes very little time to have a look at that in the app, by the way, but you can just use your recovery score, which is on the, the home page when you open up the app as your key guide, because it's taken all those things into account. It's looked at sleep, it's looked at activity, and it's looked at those readiness contributors. And it said, here is your, so mine is 82% today. Here is your readiness score. And you can just use that as your guide. So you don't need to dig into the data on a daily basis if you don't want to. There is another feature that I want to talk to you briefly about, and I did discuss this in last week's Insights, which is all about why my meditation is stressing me out. And this is a little feature that they've just released called Moment. And you can use this to track, for example, a breathing or a meditation session. What it does is it will start tracking your resting heart rate and your heart rate variability whilst you're going through this meditation session, for example. So I typically do 10 minutes a day. I will set the moment app and I'll sit there and meditate for 10 minutes and it will then tell me what's happened to my resting heart rate and my heart rate variability. And as you will have heard in last week's insights episode, the strangest thing happens when I'm meditating, but rather than go down, my resting heart rate goes up and rather than go up, my heart rate variability goes down. So it does the precise opposite of what I'm anticipating when I'm going through a meditation session. So it's really caused me to rethink the meditation because it's obviously I'm just going through the motions using it as perhaps a quiet time to sit and think and it's having the reverse effect on my physiology but it's a really great feature and it means that you don't need to use any other kind of app like calm or headspace for example for meditation you can just use the Ura app but there's very few things on the market that do all of this that do everything that Ura does and now they've brought in this new feature I think it's brilliant because you can see in real time what the effect is of your breathing or meditation session on, for example, your heart rate variability, which is the key metric for me. Absolutely brilliant. And what you should see is that HRV score go up. So I'd be curious, actually, if any of you are using Moment as to what you think of it. Let me know. Either contact us through social media or email me personally at leanne at bodyshopperformance.com. Likewise, if you've got any questions on anything I've talked about in this podcast episode, just get in touch via those ways. Or you could go onto our website, which is bodyshotperformance.com and go to the contact page and leave us a message there. But if you're using Moment, let me know what you think of it. I'm curious as to how effective it is for you guys and whether you are getting your resting heart rate down and your heart rate variability up when you're going through a breathing or meditation session or, or the opposite. So just to kind of wrap up, brilliant bit of technology, finish made. We've worn it for three years. I use it with all my sort of client interactions. Everybody who comes into our business gets an Ura ring to wear. And it's for busy professionals, anyone who's got an interest in nervous system recovery, people that perhaps don't have an issue with pushing, but need something that can kind of intelligently tell them how they're feeling and what the effect is of, of the activities that they're doing as well. Are they restorative when they should be restorative? And are you pushing too hard in some aspects of life? All of that data will get surfaced by the ring. You can buy this and I'm going to post a link in the show notes. So head off to those, however you're listening to this podcast and access the URL that we've got there. It's a kind of convoluted one to, to read out to you, but there is a custom link down there that will get you 10% off any orders of the ring. Use the discount code BODYSHOT for 10% off as well. So a couple of options. Uh, make sure you click the custom link and use the code BODYSHOT. If you can't get to the custom link, then just go to uraring.com. So that's www 
O-U-R-A-Ring.com, Oura-Ring.com. Use the discount code BODYSHOP for 10% off. And that will also get you expedited shipping as well. So that is well worth doing. So that's how you buy it. If you've got questions on this, let me know. We will probably look to do something else with some of the guys over at Oura in terms of a podcast soon. And either get Petri, uh, the CEO, back on or possibly one of the guys who's involved in the design of it. But certainly I'm, I'm looking to do something with the, the Ura folks in the next few weeks or couple of months. So we'll get you a little bit more info, perhaps some visibility onto what else they're bringing out into the future. But for now, that's it from me. And that's the Ura ring. Any questions, any feedback, let me know. If anyone's interested in the ring, share this episode with them. And of course, If this is your first time listening to the show, please subscribe, rate the podcast, if you will. If you've got any feedback specifically for me, please do drop me an email and let me know what that is. All the best for now, and I'll talk to you next week. Interested in finding out what your health IQ is? Jump on our website, www.bodyshotsperformance.com and click on Take the Test. It'll take you through to a short two to three minute test. And at the end of that, you'll get a scorecard and a free 39 page report based on our six signals, sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, and fitness. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please think of someone who could really benefit from the content and hit that share button and send it across to them. And of course, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. Thank you very much for listening.